Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's Sweet 16 weekend. We'll get to our Sixers talk with Keith Pompey in a minute. We'll talk baseball with Shlomo Lippitz of Team Israel later on in the show. Tell me about your March Madness, your bracket bus. Also, also, that's it. You want to, you want to talk about the disasters that are everybody's bracket who's listening to this and who put, put in a bracket because I don't think there's anybody left that expected any. Yeah, you can have upsets, but not what we've had over the last two weeks. This year's tournament set a new record for the number of wins by lowered seeded teams in the first two rounds with 13. The previous record was 12. There were also 11 upsets in the first two rounds of the 2022 tournament. So you're seeing a trend to more parity and upsets. But at the same time, the the kind of parity, there's 11 different conferences in the Sweet 16. This is the first time since 1980 that you will not have Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, or Kentucky in the Sweet 16. A little or bit Michigan. different this year. Well, Michigan wasn't in it, didn't have a chance. I mean, there were some really exciting upsets. It's the third consecutive year that there's a 15 seed in the Sweet 16 playing. And people are watching. The ratings are up. So yeah, here's, here's the problem, though. The, the tournament is almost a victim of its own success now, because what happens is the second the second one of these teams that never wins, that's never in it, that's not a, a blue blood program wins. What is your first thought? Mine is there goes the coach. And that seems to be what happens. The second one of these look fairly Dickinson's coach left for Iona. They win one game for the first time in, 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 since the last blue moon or whatever. And he immediately scoops, it scoots off to Iona. The uh, coach Shrewsbury from Penn state makes it to the tournament. He's off to Notre Dame. The uh, problem is you forgot, is you that, forgot Rick Pitino. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, I said, really, you <laughs> yep. know what? we're not going to have that much. We only have a couple minutes here, show. Jeff, because we've but, got lots but, to talk know, about, real, you know, it's so hard to, I don't even know how to say it anymore, but some of these schools are such hypocrites. St. John's university is sitting there and bringing a guy who left the university of Louisville in disgrace. They're not the he, only school that's done he, that. Um, I know, but uh, well, yes. I mean, we can also talk about the, uh, the coach of Texas leaves. Who's, who's now at Mississippi. He got fired this season and then Mississippi hires him. Like as long as you can show you can win something, leaving one school in disgrace appears not to be a disqualifier to going someplace else. But with regard to the tournament, the shame of it is, is that these small schools can't maintain this because the second and I guess you can't blame them. We all want to leave for a better job if a better job comes around. And it's technically a better job. But it would be so nice to see a school like St. Peter's last year that would be able to build upon that. And instead, it's literally one and done for these schools. Well, look, I mean, on the one hand, I guess they're excited they make it. But you're right. I mean, it gives these coaches a platform and they move as quickly as the players then move into the portal. And, you know, you can talk about the small schools. I don't know how the small schools will compete as NIL goes forward. That's where I think you're well, going to see the separation. Well, it depends on where those school, small schools are. 
True. And, and, and who those small schools have as an alumni base. Yes. If you have- so if you have a small school that's in New York City or Chicago or L.A., you might have a better chance of maintaining that because all you need is a couple of people that can give him NIL money to get some of those players to come there. Well, let's leave the college basketball talk there. Let's move to our pro basketball talk and talk Sixers with Keith Pompey. Keith, how's the travels? It's all right. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's, okay, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's nothing. I mean, hey, the Sixers won eight. No, seven road games in a row, eight road games in a row. So I guess that's pretty good for them. So what is it about that? Is this team coming together the way the Phillies came together when they were on the road? Were they going out and they bonding? Or is, is there is there a secret sauce to what's going on? I wouldn't say that the team is bonding. What I would say is, is a different group. I mean, if you think about it, like right now, the the only three holdovers from from last year is is – uh, or or the previous years, as I say, three years ago, is Tobias, Joel, uh, Shake Milton, and Furcon Corkmines. And for the rest of them, they're all new guys. And, and you know, a lot of times we talk about this is a first, this is a first, they're finally winning. But to these guys, like, they haven't experienced this. They haven't experienced the losing on the road. So I think that you got a lot of different personalities. You have some guys with tougher mindsets of, like, um, hey, we have nothing to do with this. So I think that's what the biggest difference is. Now, again, you can say what you said, that these are different guys who fit into what Doc Rivers wants to do. But I think when we compare them to teams in the past, it's kind of hard to do so because they have so many new faces. So I get my kid in bed the other night, go to turn on the game, and it's already 23 to 1. <laughs> They're beating the Bulls. I, I haven't seen a, a start like that from this Sixers team in a really long time. Without James Harden, by the way, talk about what we saw in that game against the Bulls, and then we'll get to the health and everything else going on with this team. You know, it's, it's funny that you said that, or great that you said that, because, you know, um, Doc Rivers said that, you know, these guys were a little disappointed at the way they lost, and you can sense the fi- feeling when they were on the plane, you could sense the feeling when they went through their like little morning routine, like meetings and stuff like that. And I felt like they, they say, Hey, look, we were tired. We took a, we took an L to this team. We're going to come out there and oppose our will. And that's what happened. Now also Chicago didn't help itself with missing like a lot of shots and the Sixers were on fire, but Chicago was missing shots. And, and I feel like that was, um, you know, part of the problem, but, they came out extremely aggressive and, and they, they got after it. So, but I do think that it was one of those, like they were determined to like stick it to the bulls. So when you, when you look at it, a game like that, uh, Embiid goes out, doesn't play in the second half on TV. They said it's because the Sixers are up really big. Then all of a sudden I'm following you on Twitter and it's like calf tightness, um, what, what's going on? Wait, with... for, wait, wait, wait. So, so what you're saying is Keith's information is different than the Sixers PR guys. Clearly more accurate. Uh, not surprised. <laughs> That's why I went to the Twitter to find out what was actually going on. Like, I don't begrudge the like, announcers. I only get my information on the Sixers from one place. I don't begrudge the announcers for giving out the information they got, but I kept like texting a friend, like where's Embiid? He's not on the bench. He's not on the court. Like clearly something was up. It wasn't just that the Sixers were winning big. So one house is tough. And two, 
why the little shadow games where they can't just say, like, he had some calf soreness. There was video. Everybody saw him grab it. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was one of those things, like, where I text it, uh, you know, people trying to get some information. And like, oh, I'll get it for you. And then all of a sudden, text again, like, hey, anything? <laughs> and it, it just went dark. It went dark. And, like, everybody on Twitter was going crazy. You know what I mean? And then, you know, you kind of felt bad for the TV people because, you know, it's kind of like they're affiliated with the team. But they got kind of put out there to look crazy, to say that, oh, he's in the back <laughs> because they're up by 30. And the thing is, like, well, why is he on the bench? You know what I mean? So – and to me, it kind of like when you do things like that, it makes people second guess you. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just say, hey, you saw him, he's getting treatment on his on his calf. Now I'm thinking, well, the calf worse than just tightness. Why is it so tight? Is he going to play the next game? So, you know, yeah, it was it was a bad look. I mean, and, and I think the Sixers really fumbled that one because. Joel Embiid was trending on Twitter last night for not being on the bench, and no one could, uh, no one knew why. And that was that was a bad look for the Sixers, an extremely bad look. Well, what we do know is Joel Embiid is having a season, a great season. When you look at Joel Embiid, the way he's playing this year, we talked to you at the beginning of the season, and we both kind of, we all kind of noticed that he didn't start out the season with a lot of enthusiasm. What has it been about Joel this season that he seems to have evolved, one, into a leader, and two, he seems to have, like, this renewed motivation? You know what? I think it's James Harden, to be honest with you. I think it's Harden. I think when you look at it, first of all, you know, Harden gets a lot of assists, but 80% of his assists go to Joel Embiid. Like, they do this thing where Harden's running down the floor, Joel's trailing, Harden does a, a pass between his legs or back and then Joel goes up for a dunk or, you know, whatever. Right. So I think what happened is when it really started to change was when Harden came back after that injury and they went to Houston and he was Harden of old, he was over dribbling. He was doing all types of stuff and they lost the game. Harden looked bad since that time. For the most part, he's been a, a facilitator. But his, a lot of this stuff is when Doc Rivers said, this is not a democracy, Harden always looked for Embiid first. And I think Embiid is happy because of that. And he's getting the touches. He's doing everything that he can. Now, let's, let's face it. His skill set has improved, right? He looks great. But I honestly think that Harden realizing that, hey, you know what? I got to feed this guy to make him happy. I can be the assist champion, right? When it's his mm -hmm. title, he'll get the scoring title and we'll both be happy. So I honestly, I think it's more Harden taking a step back and letting Joel shine than Joel doing anything. How do the Sixers handle these last 10 games? Obviously you have Embiid who wants that personal verification of the MVP that he feels like he should have had in past years. Balancing that with... Embiid had mild calf tightness the other night. James Harden had a sore Achilles. Jalen McDaniel didn't play with his hip. How does Doc balance getting Joel the accolades he wants with making sure that everybody is healthy when they step on that court in the playoffs, which they haven't been in the past couple of years? Yeah, that's the crazy part because, you know, right about now, you look at the 76ers, they got the best road record in the league, right? The best one. 
but that's not going to mean a hill of beans if these guys come in injured or or still like doing injuries because let's face it y'all know basketball player the stuff that they're doing now the intensity is going to go up another level in the postseason so you know they got to think long and hard about what they want you know uh now again you can balance it a little bit but what that means is joel's minutes probably may go down if his minutes goes down then all of a sudden his numbers are going to go down also with that is it's kind of like you know him like scoring all these points and all that stuff all that's going to do like you say it, it could bring more like opportunities for him to uh make the injury worse and that's not just for him it's for James Harden it's for um it's for Jalen McDaniels and it's for PJ Tucker we're not talking about his ankle right so to me I, I kind of think that Doc Rivers has to have a real a hard look at these next 10 games he also has to have a discussion with Joel because hey hey look I know you want the scoring title I know you're the front runner for the MVP but that's not going to help us if you're unable to be 100% healthy in the postseason. I mean, so, you know, I, me personally, I don't know, y'all. I, I think there may be a couple games where Joel's going to have to sit out if it's me. Okay. Well, that's if it's you and that's if it's us. The question is, will Joel do that? Well, I mean, we heard him say, you know, it, it, it's all about the playoffs. The, it, we know that he wants to win in the playoffs. Nobody's questioning that. But will he be able to throttle back, recognizing that the playoffs is what, what matters when the MVP trophy is sitting there for the taking if he continues to play the last 10 games like he's played the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And, and that's, the main, that's the major question, right? Because, mm -hmm. like, I mean, like, you know, it's one of those things where – you know, you say you don't want the MVP, you say you want to be a team player, but then now you got a tough challenge. And what are you going to do? You, you know what I mean? Like, what are you actually going to do? And I mean, I, I think that's going to be telling. I mean, I, I, I do. Like, I honestly think that Joel does want to be the team. He, he is being a team player. He is being a leader. He's doing all that. But let's face it. He's never won MVP before. He's never done all that other stuff. And it's hard for me to say to someone, hey, you can't do it. I mean, even though I'm saying this is Doc has to try to talk him into, but it's also that human nature thing. If you're Joel Embiid, you're saying to yourself like, but hey, I want to be one of the all-time greats. You know, I want to be an MVP. I want to be this guy. So that's the tough spot because he's having a phenomenal year. And, and to this point, to me, even if he doesn't play, another game Joel Embiid is going to get my vote if I have a vote if I get a vote he's going to get my vote because I've seen enough and I, I think that you know the, the things that he's doing is leading the Sixers to get these victories so in my opinion he is the MVP but again dude it's going to be a tough decision and it's going to be a tough for him and I hate it for him because he's going to be put on the spot yeah I mean it's tough he's got to choose you know every you want the personal recognition but in the end you want a title 
And so which one do you want more? So, all right, assuming health, let, let's sort of talk rotation with this team. Maxi's obviously back in the starting rotation, playing much more aggressively and, and better out there. Seems like Paul Reed has kind of moved into that backup center position more consistently at times. You can tell me if I'm wrong there. And DeAnthony Melton really seems to have gotten his place there. Benches will shorten in the playoffs. Who are the Sixers' rotational players when we go into the playoffs here? I think you just named two of them. You named two. So I want to say it's going to probably be – I think it's going to be Jalen McDaniels if he's healthy, right? It's going to be Paul Reed, um, and and you are right. He has played a whole lot better. It's going to be George Niang. and uh, let's see. So, it's going to be, huh? And what about Melton? Yeah, uh, DeAnthony Melton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I, I think if there's another guy, I think George might be. See, because the problem with George is George defensively, he may hurt you at times, right? But I think the fact that Jaden McDaniel's can play a lot of different positions and he can shoot the ball, I think that. That's one of those things where, like, okay, if I'm not going with shakes this game, I can try to get away with him. But right now, those four guys, I think, have to be it. I do. I think that, you know, um, Niang, a possible, depending on the matchup, and then Shake would be the guy to possible. But when we talk about uh, McDaniels, Melton, and, uh, and um, what's his name, Paul Reed, those are going to be, in my opinion, are going to be three definites. You know, House seems to be at least getting a few more minutes lately. Mm -hmm. Does he fit into this at all in the playoffs because he's more of a veteran guy or no? I mean, let's face it, that's been Doc's history is to play the guys who have more experience. Yes and no. I mean, I I think that, you know, I I think that the reason why he is getting the minutes is just because Jalen McDaniels is injured. Before Jalen McDaniels was injured, he was getting a lot of DMP. So, you know what I mean? So I think, like, if Jalen is healthy, he's going to get those minutes. And the thing about Jalen is, you know, he's a guy, skinny, you know, skinny dude, but he can go in there. He can play multiple positions for you. So it's, it's, it's kind of like he's helping out a lot of different spots, you know. Um, so – and then Doc always says, you know, we're getting the guys that I really like now. We got the guys that I like. So when he says that, I'm looking around. That's the only guy that they picked up. <laughs> him and him and uh him and Dwayne Bettman. But but Paul Reed has played so well that it's hard for you to justify saying, All right, Paul, go to the bench. You're not playing anymore. Wait a second. So you're telling me Mac McClung is not gonna be playing in the playoffs? You know, Matt McClung will probably happen. What happened to him is Matt McClung will get called up and you'll see him. You get to the game at at 530 or five o'clock for a 7 p.m. tip and you'll see Matt McClung out there working out. And then and when the game comes, you'll see Matt McClung with civilian clothes on, basically. Jeff can, I mean? Jeff can make jokes about Mac McClung, though, but I still have concerns that when it comes to crunch time minutes, Doc will dock, and he will go and put Montrez Harrell in the game or Dwayne Dedman in the game because they've got more NBA experience than Paul Reed. And- you know, I'm not a yeah, – here's the thing about Dwayne Dedman. Like, Dwayne Dedman hasn't done anything when he's been out there for me to say is a struggle. 
the, the thing about, and I do like Montrez, I just think that, and I like Montrez a lot for what he brings to the table offensively. But the thing about Montrez, you got to know when you have Montrez, you have to have him out there with a rim protector, somebody that's going to help out. You know, and, you know, when he was in, in the, with the Clippers and all that stuff, it worked out because they had rim protectors with him, a rim protector. I, I think that when he's in the game, he'll give you points, but guys are the opposing centers and everyone's is just running straight to the rim. So while he's scoring points, he's giving up points at the other end. Whereas you look at Paul Reed, you know, he's a rim protector. You look at Dwayne Detman, he's active, you know, stuff like that. And but I still think that Montrez's skill set is what you need on a championship type of team. Somebody who would come in and give you buckets. But the problem is that's a situational guy. He doesn't like that. But it's one of those things where stay ready, you know, as they always say, and then you come in and give stuff. The only problem is like when he was playing, you know, opposing teams were scoring at 70 percent at the rim when he was in the games. So you can't really go to that. You just can't. Well, yeah, but the question is, is what do you need off that second team? If what you need off the second team is defense, it seems like Paul Reed is the better option. If if, if you're saying what you need is offense, is Montrez Harrell the better option coming off the bench? I think it's basically like, again, it's, it's going to be basically um, dependent on the situation. Like, I think if you're down and you need someone that, and you got some defenders out there and you need somebody to get buckets, oh, that's going to be Montrez in the pick and roll all day. You know what I mean? Montrez going to get fired up. But then if everybody else is baking and cooking and, and you got these staggered lineups, I think that you're going to have to go with Paul Reed. And then if Paul Reed gets in, like, foul trouble, then you're going to say, hey, I'm going to Dwayne Detman. You know, mm-hmm. the thing about Dwayne Detman, he hasn't really shown it a lot, like, um, he he can he can shoot a little bit, but he just hasn't you know had the situations and stuff to showcase it like late in the games and stuff. So I feel like when you have all three of these guys, it's going to be based on the situation. You need a guy who's going to be a rim protector, someone that's active, going to drive, grab rebounds, you know this and that. And as good as Paul Reed has been, it's not a guarantee because sometimes he goes off script. But if he's going to grab rebounds and do that, that's going to be the guy. If you need a big who can come in and pick and pop and do certain things and still be active, that's Detman. But if you need somebody that's going to come in and be in the pick and roll and be a bona fide scorer and just get you buckets, that's who you're going to have in there. So it's like, you know, right now, none of the three of them are somebody that you will say, this is like having Andre Drummond, like he's going to be the bona fide guy. You know, he's going to be your backup. Like, I think all three of these guys are situational right now. In a great, in an ideal situation, if Paul Reed wasn't playing at such a high level, you would say it's going to be Dwayne Depp. You would say see, that. Yeah, but see, that's the, that's the problem is I sit there and listen to you. And if I were driving right now and listening to this, I'd be sitting there going, I know what Doc's done in the past. I know that he doesn't trust the young guys. He hasn't shown that he trusts Paul Reed in a big situation. Even though Paul Reed seems to have earned it, you wonder if whether or not his reflex, Doc's reflex, is going to be to go to Deadman or Harrell, even though Reed is clearly the best option. Yeah, but I think a lot of it is, is going to, in the years past, I felt like um, 
it was because he didn't have any faith in Paul Reed, right? I feel like right now, Paul Reed has, he controls his own destiny, so to speak. The problem with, and I love Paul Reed, great guy, talk to him all the time. I like him a lot. Taking him to Denny's? And, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Can't believe he doesn't have a marketing I, deal I, yet. Know, I need to, I need to, uh, like, just have it for a souvenir, like, buy one of his in the mud sweatshirts, yeah. right? Hoodies, right? But here's the thing about Paul Reed, and Paul Reed will tell you this. The thing with Paul is sometimes, and what I mean by go off script, they want him to, like, stay out of foul trouble. They want him to, like, be a rim protector. But they also want him to grab rebounds, offensive rebounds, turn around, and hit outlet. <laughs> like, outlet it to the wing. Sometimes Paul gets the rebound and people are wide open, and my man is spinning and going right to the basket, <laughs> right, and throwing up some crazy stuff sometimes. And so – that's why Paul Reed controls his own destiny. So if Paul Reed starts doing that, then we ain't going to see Paul Reed for that much longer. And he knows it. He's like, yeah, man, I messed up today. Like, you know, stuff like that. So, so you know, if Paul lets the emotion and, 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 and everything get the best of him, then it's not going to be good. But I think that he's shown a lot. Like, you saw him, you saw him Wednesday against uh, – against uh the bulls paul looked good out there i mean he really looked good he was mm -hmm. athletic they couldn't keep up with him he you know he looked really he played really well and he's been that way um all the games i think in charlotte he had three blocks you know so paul has been playing it's just a matter of paul not letting Paul get the best of. Well, yeah, and along those lines, he's been on, he's been more under control. Which you know, when he was younger, the aggressiveness, the fouls that he would commit, he took himself off the floor. Separate from whatever he did when he turned around with the ball, he's taking himself off the ball with the way he was playing. I got a question for you though, just about the refs in general um, and how the players are kind of relating to them this year. Um, we're seeing a lot. The other night, Luka Doncic kind of did the money sign at a ref. Uh, Trey turn Trey uh, is out there. Trey Young is out there saying refs should be held accountable for mistakes. Mark Cuban, you're going out to Golden State to cover the Sixers out there. The Warriors won a game by two the other night, where Mark Cuban says the refs didn't tell him who had the right ball. Are we seeing more of a kind of headbutting relationship with the officials this year in the wait, NBA? Wait, 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 wait! Before Keith actually answers with actual facts. Uh, let, let me just throw in there. You just named three of the biggest complainers in the NBA. I, I understand but, that, but like, it's... like you literally just named Mark Cuban complainer, Trey Young complainer, Luca. This is Luca, and Luca and, 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 and who complains about everything. Okay, so Set... Keith, go ahead. You can go with facts now, but I, I'm just sitting there going, uh, it's three complainers. No, I don't make anything. Here's the thing. I, I don't. But but you, you're right. But like, it doesn't Luca do this, y'all? After every play. Yeah. <laughs> but so does time. so does Harden every time. So does Harden every time he wants a call when he's going to the basket. The players have done that. They've they've lobbied for the call in the past. It just seems like there's a lot more public to me this year than has been in the past. I don't like it. Uh, to be honest with you. Now, first of all, so. My thing is, I don't, I mean, it sounds like crazy what happened. Like, yeah, um, you know, with, with the, uh, the Dallas game. The game where Dallas game where both of them thought they were inbounds in the ball. I was right. trying to explain it to Jeff. He's like, well, where, where were, was Dallas? I was like, they were on the other side of the court. Nobody yeah. was there. Yeah. Like, like it, to me, and, and, and that's also like, 
that's where the coach, that's where the, the captain of the team, like, yo, what's going on here? Like, I mean, they both were trying to like, oh, they're dumb. And then they just inbounds the ball and they scored. Like, it was just crazy to me. But you know what? You know, I mean, I, there's a lot of younger reps here. And and it is kind of sort of like from what I see, like, you know, you watch the Sixers games and you'll see a guy n- n- uh, think that he got fouled is some some contact, but it is kind of like not really not to not to where you saying, oh, dude, that you really messed that call up. I mean, sometimes it happens, but not all the time. And you see a guy running over to the ref, yelling and screaming why the play is going on, right? And it's like, it's to a point where I think it's a little bit disrespectful, And but they do it to like, they don't do it to the reps that have been there for years. It's always these young ones and, and they're getting in their faces and they're disrespecting them. So I, I don't like it. I just don't. I don't. I mean, it's, it's like to a point where every game there's somebody calling a foul, every play. Like, you know, James Harden drives the lane, doom, 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 foul. Tobias Harris, foul. You know, all of it. And it's kind of like, I remember back in the day, the only people who got those type of calls were Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Julius Irvin, you know, I mean, Dr. J. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, now Joel B gets it. You know, we're talking about LeBron James. You got to be the face of the of, of the NBA or or of your team to get these calls. But we all knew it. But now it just seems like I don't know. Even now that the coaches are complaining, I, I don't like it. Now again, are the, are these refs making mistakes? Some of them probably are. They're young. Uh, they're, they're young refs. But I also feel like that some of these players are trying to uh, impose their will on a rookie or or, or like uh, inexperienced ref or a female ref sometimes, you know, just so they can do it. But I don't feel like they, w- they wouldn't do it years ago, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, well, so let's talk, let's talk about tonight. Uh, the Sixers are out in Golden State. Mm-hmm. This is not the Golden State team that we've all been used to seeing. Is this, is this a game that the Sixers have in the bag? Oh, I know. Nah, because that. we got to find out what's going to happen with these guys. We're going to have to find out if Embiid going to play. You know, they're all like questionable, right? So we're going to find out if Embiid's going to play. What's the status with Harden? You know, Doc is saying like, hey, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Doc is saying like, hey, yeah, we we expect them to play. We we hope that them to play, but also I think that expect to play was to make sure people stop panicking, right? So so the deal is. As much as we as we say like this is a guaranteed one, this is something that they're gonna have in the bag, you know, anything can happen, dude. And this team, they, here's the thing about this Golden State team, this is the crazy part. They're like they won eight games in a row at home. Like they have one of the best home records. It's just that when they get away, they struggle. So this is going to be a tough environment for the Sixers. It would be nice if they for the Sixers if they can go in there and get a victory, but nah, this isn't like this isn't like going to Charlotte or going to Indiana and just, thinking you're just going to um, you know, sweep them. I just don't want you to tweet it was a schedule loss afterwards, okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> Keep Pompeii, safe travels. Jeff, any final thoughts before we let the man go do his work? No, let's go. Let the let the man go do his work. He's, uh, got, he's got a lot of people to see if they're healthy before that game starts. At Pompeii on Sixers, keep up with Keith Pompeii. Keith, thanks for always giving us some time, man. Go Pitt. Thank you. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, fresh off an exciting World Baseball Classic, let's welcome Team Israel pitcher and also president of venues for City Winery. That's not a combination we often give with our guest, Shlomo Lippitz, to the show. Shlomo, thank you for the time today. Of course. I guess that's what you get when you're still playing baseball at 44. Well, talk to us about that. So you're 44. You, you were the second oldest player to participate in the World Baseball Classic this year. Talk to us about the experience getting to go through it again for you. Wait, who's the oldest? Somebody older yeah, than 44. <laughs> Somebody older than 44. <laughs> what was that experience like for you, though, to, to be the veteran on the team now who's been there before you were on the first World Baseball Classic Israeli team? You've been a, a forerunner on a lot of the other Israeli teams that have played in baseball. Can you talk about that for our listeners? Sure. I mean, you know, the same way you you, you adjust physically – any, any player in the big leagues or any other player in any professional sports who continues to play throughout or longer than the normal average athlete will tell you that you keep making adjustments uh, with with how you throw, how you handle yourself. And for me, it's not only been an adjustment on coming to terms that I'm not throwing sidearm 89 miles an hour anymore, but, you know, more of like a, you know, mid to high 70s, low 80s, if I'm lucky, it's also adjusting the mindset on, on what my role is on the team uh, and, and, and being comfortable. You know, I, I definitely don't think I'm some, you know, call me the mensch on the bench or some, you know, I'm not a mascot. I think I'm, you know, in a lot of ways, I still in my head feel I could, I could get anyone out off, you know, uh, any, any better out, but it's more just being comfortable kind of showing some of the lineage uh, for, for a lot of these athletes who, 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 you know, for the first time of playing for Team Israel. I mean, uh, I think Team Israel in the classic is not unique in its, uh, I would say, the, the the fabric of the team. Most teams, if you look at the rosters up and down, most of the teams had players that had very little connection to the country they played for, especially that, the countries outside of Japan and the United States. I mean, uh, look at Mexico. They had a Cuban player that, you know, a month ago didn't even hold a, a Mexican uh, citizenship. Uh, so for me, it's all about kind of my role as I see it now is we have so little time as a team. Uh, so it's kind of getting the guys together on that first day this year in, uh, in, in Miami, or we kind of got everyone together for, for dinner. Uh, just telling about a little bit myself, a little bit about the team, a little bit about the experience of someone who's experienced this. This was my third world classic. Um, and just trying to create some of that magic, magic sauce, um, just feeling them connection. You know, one of the things that I always kind of like to, to mention, which just hearing from other American players who played for Team Israel before is that most of these players, Jews are not notorious for being outstanding athletes. I mean, that's no secret. I would say 
I'm six four. If I walk around in, in in Israel in any room, I'm probably in the one percenter looking down at most people. Um, so I think for most of the players, it's the first time that they've ever been in a, on, in a baseball team or in a you know some type of organized sports. And sometimes even in their schools or, or or local communities with more than one or two Jewish athletes or or, or, or you know uh, teammates. And as an Israeli, I've learned to understand, you know, when I say as an Israeli, as an Israeli who was born and raised in Israel, where everyone around me is Jewish, is Israeli, uh, you don't have to go out of your way to celebrate Yom Kippur, you don't have to go out of your way to celebrate uh, Passover, you just don't, you just can't buy bread in stores and you can't buy bread in restaurants. For Jewish American, uh, as an identity, they've always, they have this real search and kind of like drive to, to feel connected to something bigger. Uh, some of them have, some of them have bar mitzvah, some of them have not, some of them, uh, like Ty Kelly, his dad is a preacher. Uh, so there, there's there's different people from different spaces of, of, of life. And my job, I guess, is just to kind of connect the old and the new and, and connect the Jewish with the Israeli and put it into context. You know, a lot of people have talked, especially about this World Baseball Classic, about the bonds that the players have developed on these teams and how exciting this experience has been for the teams. What is What was your experience like as far as you talked about the dinner, but the actual games and the practices and being around other teams in other countries? What has the experience been like for you? And what, what have you what have you noticed about the World Baseball Classic that seems to have made it more than just an exhibition. Well, just for clarity, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are fully aware. I'm, I was on the extended uh, roster, meaning mm-hmm. I was eligible to play for the second round. So I was right. with the team leading up to the World Classic, and then I had to go back out of really big production in Carnegie Hall. But to your your dual I, life, I've definitely done enough of these to 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 kind of tell you exactly what you need. I mean, you talk. And you're around pro athletes all the time. I mean, especially in baseball, where most baseball players go through the minor league system and they're exposed to so much of the politics and they're exposed to so much of all the bull that goes around the sport that's not purely the sport itself. Um, rather, it's being, you know, it was fascinating reading Ron Ronway's kind of uh, uh, the his his goodbye letter. I'm not sure if you guys read it. He just kind of hung out his hung his hung his shoes and just talks about just the journey and just a lot of ways when you're in the minor leagues, you feel like everyone's against you and it makes no sense. You could have the best outing. You'd still be you know, dropped down because of some kind of contract kind of, you know, uh, detail and people have been here a lot this past couple of weeks, just how, you know, how long the seasons are and how, how meaningless every game is. And the one common denominator and why I think all these, even these top major league players kind of say like, it's for the for the first time for those who are lucky enough to make it far in college uh, and, you know, make it to the College World Series where every pitch counts, where you're dialed in on every single thing that's happening on the field. And you don't have to play to to feel exhausted after a game because, I mean, just look, look at the fans and look at the players during a, a regular league, you know, regular season major league game. You're doing everything besides focusing on the game because it just becomes this kind of mundane kind of process. So that intensity, uh, that level of kind of, of of focus and the engagement of the fans. I mean, my I would say my top experience not being there, uh, you know, in one of the you know Dominican or, or Venezuelan or Puerto Rican games was 
in the Tokyo Dome in 2017, we had 55,000 Japanese fans in the stands uh, two hours prior to the game. And I, I don't know if they had little porter potties or, or peed in a bag or they, no, not a single person left their seat for three and a half hour game. And then post game, they had these interviews and nobody left until the last person was interviewed. You don't see that in a baseball game, even in a sold out any park in the, in, in the United States, any sold out park in any given time, the 40% of the, of the fans are not in their seats. So that, that takes away from the atmosphere. So the atmosphere plus the intensity of the game, plus this year for the first time. So 2000, up until this year, not sure if you remember, there are two rounds of brackets. When we were, when we qualified in Korea, we, there were only four teams and then we qualified to the second round in Tokyo and there was another uh, four, four team uh, bracket. This year, after that first round, it's one and done. So even more so, every single game counts so much. Um, and, you know, it's just one of the reasons I've kept playing this long is when I'm on the field, I forget about real life. It's a game. It's fun. You want to, you know, you, you just want to have fun on the field. And it's amazing how much the word fun uh, has popped up in the past couple of weeks from, you know, top players in the world. You know, separate from the fun on the field, what you guys are doing for kids in Israel who, you know, when you were growing up, baseball wasn't everywhere. You got lucky to be near a place that you found baseball. And after your military service, you approached a coach about playing baseball. But you, through your efforts playing for Israel baseball, you guys are building baseball fields there. You're giving the next generation of players who want to be like you the chance. What does that mean to you? to be able to do that back in Israel? It means a lot. Listen, I don't remember a lot from my child, just, you know, just some kind of the day-to-day kind of feelings and, and, and emotion. I do remember vividly, and I think any kid could relate to it, is to become what you want to become, you need a role model. You know, you need someone to look up and, you know, you want, you know, if it's, you know, and, and I think sometimes we get a little spoiled here because it's, there's so many fields, there's so many players, there's so many outlets to be able to kind of uh, see a game and see your favorite player. Not to have growing up anyone where I could say like, I want to swing like this person. I want to feel the ball this way. I want to, I want to swag up like this player. I want to be, you know, I want to be able to throw the pitch this way. Just because a baseball was non-existent in Israel to it was before the age of the internet. Uh, there was no really cable TV. My, you know, my, my, the sum of my fixation of the game was, you know, having my aunt send me a pack of baseball cards uh, every, every couple of months. So I would say the most impactful thing for me is, and what I hope and what I, what, what I enjoy when I go back to Israel to kind of just spend as much time as I can with the field and why I love the fact that, some of the 2017 players and, and, you know, some of the players now have got, now gone back to Israel multiple times is the fact that there is a good chance that some kid out there in Israel who now has not only the ability to research and watch games online and, and to watch the games on TV, but to be able to have a role model that they feel connected to, whether it be an identity or, or, or for, to have that one 10-year-old kid who 
now sees a now sees a clearer path for them to choose baseball over basketball or soccer and to see the path that they could have, rather it be college, pro, whatever it is, that for me is the most impactful thing, in addition to, of course, the baseball field and just have a, a infrastructure uh, that now exists but still needs a lot of work on. You know, we, we you've pitched all over the globe and you've been doing it for several decades now. How How is it that you continue to find the time? I mean, you have a full-time job now that takes you to a whole different cool area in, in, in music and rock and roll. How do you find the time to, to continue to keep your arm in position to, to put yourself on a team playing in the World Baseball Classic? And, and what motivates you to keep doing it? I, it sounds corny, I... I love playing baseball. I love, I mean, I'm, the reason why I'm a little nuzzy and cold is because I, at 35 degree weather, I, I played, you know, I pitched four innings on Sunday. Uh, it doesn't matter. I've driven hours. I've, you know, flown across the globe. I love the game so much. Um, I, I, I'm not even a big talker. You know, most of the teams that I play with now in, in, in New York, I'm one of like five white players, uh, English speaking, and you know everything is in Spanish. I don't understand that word in Spanish. It doesn't matter. We speak the international language of baseball, and I think it just helped. I I, I work off in my my day my daytime job. You know, uh, I work really really hard with a passion, and I and I all I could do is wish for anyone who's seeing this or listening to this that that especially New Yorkers, you know, we work way too hard um is just to have an outlet another outlet to just put down your phone to be able to be in the outdoors just do anything it could be anything you know I, i'm on, you know i've never ever said this is my last year i'm going to be playing i've always said that the only way for me not to play is the coach to tell me okay shlomo it's uh you're going to sit out this this time and you know Let's see if they could do that. So it just, it, I think I justify working so hard knowing that I have another way, another outlet to kind of do my thing. Um, you all know it becomes very hard to motivate yourself to go out and work out. And and I want to be decent on the field. So that results in me wanting to, you know, go out and work out in the gym and work off season, especially since I moved to the East Coast from the West Coast doing any type of exercise outdoor, you know, October, November through March is pretty much impossible. So just finding creative ways to, to, to work indoors. And I don't mind taking my Saturday off. Now I'm working on growing my family. I, I, I think, you know, I wish I was a dad a little earlier in my career, but uh, I don't know if I would still be playing baseball if I had a family. So I understand why either, you know, once you have kids and you have, you know, a bigger family it may become harder, but I just wish for everyone out there, just find another thing to do besides your day-to-day work. Well, let's talk about that double life. You had joked that, uh, you joked to music people that you'll rip off your jeans and have your baseball uniform underneath it. Uh, Talk to us about that music world. You're the president of venues for City Winery. You've worked with some of the biggest names in music and entertainment. What is that side of life like for Shlomo? Not that different. I, 
I mean, I joke around. I love what I do. I work hard on uh, what I do. I mean, I've found, I think anyone who deals, anyone who's had to interact with a celebrity, a top athlete, a top musician will tell you, and I, you know, tell you that the, the last thing that they want is that the people around them will become, you know, act like little fanboys, you know, uh, they hate if they're in an interview, I'm sure if you've interviewed some, some high profile people or, 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 or you're hanging them backstage or you hang, you know, in the locker room, they don't want you, they don't want to talk about their day to day, you know, baseball career or, or music. They don't want to be taking, you know, you don't want to take selfie with them. You just want to talk about everything else. I mean, I remember the first time I met Eddie Vedder in Mexico City. All he wanted to talk about is baseball. I actually gave him uh, Ty Kelly's helmet after the 2017 uh, uh, World Baseball Classic because I know he's, he's a avid collector of, of baseball memorabilia. So I've kind of taken that and, you know, and, and over the years, just also interacting with big leaguers just because of, Kind of the, the, I was lucky to have some opportunities. So I, in a lot of ways, the way I've treated musicians and what I think helped me be successful in the music business is really just having another side. You know, it's a common knowledge. You know, athletes want to be musicians. Musicians want to be actors. Actors want to be athletes. Everyone wants to be. Everyone wants to be something else. So for 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 me to be able to have another thing to talk about that's not oh you know what's your favorite. Ben, what's your favorite record? I think definitely helped me. It's amazing. You know, they, one of the things I got exposed to when I moved to the States and, you know, the, the, your college coaches are trying to kind of convince you why it's okay to wake up five days a week at be in the weight room at six in the morning. And, you know, they kind of pump you with all the, you know, you're going to work the hardest in the country. And, you know, being a student athlete gives you advantage in life, you know, and I, and I, I came after, you know, 21 older than most, most students. I did my military service. I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not going to learn really anything. I'm already mature and a, and a grown man. And there's a lot of stuff I took from, from, from college. And, and, and definitely I would agree that student athletes have an advantage out in the work, in the workforce, not only work, hab, not only work habits, but also uh, just the network. So I think a lot of musicians that I work with, are following me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook. All they want to talk about is how can they get my bobblehead or a t-shirt, which I think is hilarious. Uh, and it's just another, it's a, it's a common, it's, it's another thing to, to, to talk about, which I think they really bonded uh, with. And I think, you know, music business, like any other business is very competitive and that's a, that's a competitive advantage and I've taken advantage of it and, and made, everyone around me feel very comfortable. And, and again, uh, you know, most musicians love something else and to be able to talk about something else is, is, is great. And has been well, great. You, well, you mentioned that most athletes want to be rock stars and most rock stars want to be athletes. So you've played with a lot of athletes, which of those athletes still think that they should be on a stage and you should be promoting them? <laughs> It's a tough one there. Oh, man, that's a complex question, but I'm trying to think. Who who of the athletes you've played with thinks they they should be the biggest rock star? And no, we won't hold you to Ty Kelly up on stage. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Was, well, you know, Danny Valencia thinks he should be, you know, the, the king of all kings. I mean, I've never met someone so cocky, but in, in the best possible way. Uh, 
you know, he thinks everyone should be bowed, bow, bowing down and, you know, and, and you've got to fake it to make it, which I love. I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most with, you know, I'm going to change a little bit the topic, but one of the reasons I think why the success of Team Israel, why we've had success in the past, you know, 12 years, we always had this mentality, and I think it's, a, and I'm going to generalize about the, the, the Jewish people here. We've always had this mentality of this underdog, this victim, you know, where where uh, we gotta be the you know the David and be the Goliath. And I remember the first time meeting Danny, and here comes a guy who played in Miami, which was one of the cockiest colleges of all time. I mean, the, every single athlete I've ever met who played, you know, who who played there thinks they're the hot. It's it's amazing, uh, and he's just giving me crap for like, what do you mean you want to surprise people? We're going to beat every single team. Like, what, what do you mean you, 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 like we belong here and, and that's contagious. And I think having this new blood of players that have had success in baseball has really, and have had this kind of, we belong mentality has completely changed how we perceive ourselves and, uh, and, and how we act on the field. And I think every great team, whether it be, you know, the Chicago, you know, the, 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 uh, whether it be the Lakers or, 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 you know, the Jordan's team, I mean, they have that kind of it factor where it's like, even if you're not the best team that day, everyone kind of has that fear. Everyone, you know, you, you, you believe that you could beat every single team and that's kind of part of that mentality. It has nothing to do with what you asked me earlier about the musician, because to be honest, uh, I don't I don't think I've had an interaction with any professional athlete that actually was pl was playing. I just kind of I've I've heard stuff and I've read stuff. You know, when it comes to athletes, I know for sure other musicians want to be athletes and and, and actors. Uh, but it's 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 a known fact. It's just about trying to to do something outside of your normal kind of mundane life, rather it be if you're a regular person on the street or, or, or professional, whatever. Well, we did have one of your teammates, Garrett Stubbs on a few weeks ago. I don't know if he wants to be a musician, but apparently he is the DJ, the DJ in the clubhouse. Right? Yeah. yeah. He's the yeah, Phillies yeah, yeah. club DJ. <laughs> look, Slomo, we look forward to seeing what the next generation of players build on top of the foundation that you've helped us start. And I wish you the I'm best. I'm looking forward to playing with them. No. I, look, <laughs> apparently you're the cool dad, according to Sam Fold. So we'll have to keep you around to, to let you play with all of them. Look forward to following your story and wish you the best of luck with the business side as well. Thanks so much for oh, giving us some time today. Yeah. Jeff, what a story getting to talk to Shlomo, his journey, his life, but also what a world baseball classic we got to see this year, man. Not just the the whole tournament, but the ending of it. I mean, you couldn't have had a better ending than Japan versus the United States, Shohei Otani coming on to pitch against his star teammate, Mike Trout. Well, you could have. The U.S. could have won. Well, I mean, they okay. In, in that case, <laughs> I, yes. I would have. And, and for Philadelphians, it would have been nice if uh, you know Trey Turner would have hit another home run. Well, he did yesterday for the Phillies, so he's up to six this week. Uh, look, this this spring, this spring, <laughs> they weren't all this week. 
You get a lot of people complaining about the WBC. Are you a pro WBC? Who's complaining about it? Oh, I've got so many friends complaining about it. It, You're either, if you're not complaining. So my thing is, if you're not in favor of the WBC, you need to don't watch it. But they don't just not watch it. They seem to want to take down everybody else's enjoyment of it while telling you that it shouldn't be played now, people get injured, it's not a real tournament, whatever it is, you can't, you, like, I'm not allowed to just enjoy it if somebody else does. It. I only have one complaint in that, and that's a, that's as a, of a citizen of the United States, which is our pitch, uh, the roster of pitchers that we had in the World Baseball Classic was, was underwhelming. You know, it's funny but you say that. Other than that, th- there's nothing else to complain Rob about. Rob Manford wants more Major League pitchers participating in 2026 when they do it. The best pitchers in Japan competed to get on the roster. The U.S. couldn't right. get one of the 14 U.S.-born pitchers who received a vote for Cy Young Awards to pitch. The first four pitchers Mark DeRosa used in the championship game combined in their careers for 114 and 120 record. No all-star games, no postseason wins, and no fastballs with above-average velocity. That's yeah. what the U.S. went to yeah, the battle with. Yeah, where was Scherzer? Where was, uh, where was, where was uh, Verlander? Where was Nola? Where was Wheeler? You can go through a whole bunch of pitchers. You're not, they're not taxing their arms. They're not pitching more than a couple innings in a game. No, and look, I'd like to see more play. I, I don't know whether it will be played here in the middle of the season at the All-Star break, but I think the World Bas- Baseball Classic is good for growing baseball. And it's here to go. It's here to stay. Oh, it definitely is here to stay, especially after the success this year. Jeff, any final thoughts before we let people go? The Phillies uh, spring training is almost over. It needs to end before anybody hurts themselves. <laughs> first, first pitch, regular season, almost here, opening day. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.